I'll go ahead and pray and, and we'll get started. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a time and, and a place to gather as a people uh, to rejoice in you and just enjoy what you've done through our lives in this last week, Lord. Lord, we are fickle people who look at good things in our life and, and assume they're blessings from you and look at the hardships and assume you're far from us and it's so easy for us to do. I pray that as we read in the continued life and saga of Jacob that we would see uh, the dangers in those ideas and that we would uh, see the glory in just pursuing your will for us, Lord, and what you have shown us. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. So we're in the life of Jacob right now, and last time we met, just for quick review, or last time we met in in Genesis, um, we had Jacob being sent away because of the deception that he and his mother, that his mother instigated, and uh, he took part in, and Esau was ready to kill him, so he runs away, and on his way to... uh, go back to his mother's family, to Laban, he uh, sleeps and has a dream, and this is where we get Jacob's ladder, and, and at that time a promise is made from God that uh, he's going to be with him and that he'll bring him back to this land, the land of promise, and that, it, that he'll always be with him in that. And Jacob decides that, okay, I'll do everything God has asked me to do, and if it turns out the way he says it, then... Um, then I will uh, surely give a tenth to you, is how the chapter 28 ends. So Jacob makes this promise, okay, I'm going to serve God if he does exactly what he says. And, and you wonder about the faith of this man who isn't even sure God will keep a promise after he's had such a vision. And then at the beginning of chapter 29, we have him meeting Rachel at the well, and things seem to be falling in place. And he ends up meeting Rachel's father, Laban, and that's right where he's supposed to go. And he falls in love with Rachel and sets up a plan to work for seven years to marry her. And literally at the last moment, uh, she is swapped for Leah. And Elise informed me that it's Leah, not Leah. She's not a princess. Um, so I'll, if I slip back in the Star Wars jargon, I apologize. Um, so he, he then goes... Uh, and ends up marrying Leah uh, because of a trick that Laban plays on him. And, and we learn that Laban and Rebecca are both uh, kind of troublemakers um, and, up, and dirty tricksters. And, and often Jacob finds himself in the middle of it, sometimes taking part and sometimes being the, uh, the victim of such things. So he has to work another seven years for Rachel. And uh, so a total of... 14 years there, and then he sticks around even longer, Um, and we're at that point in the story when he has two wives now, Leah and Rachel, and he's going to get more, Um, but it won't make his life more simple, that's for sure. It's not like adding servants, it's a little different. Um, And so we have, we ended around verse 31, so that's where we'll pick up, Um, and there in Verse 31, we see, now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God sees Leah and takes compassion on her because of the lack of the love of her husband. 
uh, just a, a reminder here that he's the one who opens her womb and Rachel is barren. It shouldn't be assumed that, well, that whole barrenness of Rachel is outside of God's control, but the fertility of Leah was in his control. Both are certainly within his control. Children are from God. Certainly children are a gift from God. They're a positive thing. Um, but sometimes children are a challenge. And, and sometimes, certainly uh, in the life of Abraham, the whole multiple wives got him into trouble. And now we're going to see multiple wives get Jacob himself into trouble as well. But ultimately here in verse 31, as we, as we approach this section about the sons of Jacob that are born... Oh, and by the way, there's a daughter who just gets mentioned like in half of the smallest verse in the passages. Oh yeah, and there was a daughter. Um, As we look at this, God is ultimately the one in control of what's going on. And he's carrying carrying out his plan specifically. Um, In spite of the disaster that's happened here where you've got the two wives, uh, the the polygamy that's going on, God is going to use this to carry out his purposes. So there in verse 32, Leah conceives and and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. So Leah's view of her conceiving was a proper view of God. It was actually in line with God. She understands that the Lord has seen my affliction. And if you go back to verse 31, sure enough, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. So God sees this and acts upon it. And then she adds to that. She makes an assumption here about her husband and says, surely now my husband will love me. The idea that I have given him a son, now he, I will be a positive thing and he'll have a better view of me and having a son in that culture, hugely important. Certainly the line that needed to flow through Abraham. Um, She has brought forth a son, and therefore uh, this will make Jacob love me as I'm in this unloved state. And we see that that's not actually what's going to happen. Leah here is, is portrayed as a sympathetic character. Uh, We not only feel bad for her, in the situation she's in, because really she's the victim of her father's treachery. She took part in it, but she is a victim of this, and now she's married to a man who doesn't love her. So we feel sorry for her, but we also need to understand the context again that Genesis is given in. Genesis is given to a group of people who are Israelites, and each one of them fits in one of these tribes. There was the tribe of Reuben. So all the Reubenites had to be, the first time they hear this, told to them, they had to be really interested in what's actually going on here. Reuben, hey, I'm a Reubenite. Um, how is it that I was born? Well, but we're, we exist as a tribe because God took, um, looked compassionately on our ultimate mother, uh, Leah, and Reuben was born. And that's why he's named, the Lord has seen my affliction. That's why we are who we are. That's, that's where our name came from. And so as we're going through these names, understand that this is being given to, this is the story being told up to that point in time and now codified in, in Scripture by Moses of here's where your tribes came from. Certainly they probably would have understood 
Certainly they probably, that didn't make sense. Certainly they would have understood these stories even beforehand as most of this would have been oral tradition, but in the giving of the text, they would have been especially interested in, okay, who am I and where am I from? All of us would, would have that, that bond with Leah if she was one of our ancestors. So Leah is a sympathetic character. We feel bad for her, and certainly the, the audience would have been interested in who these people were. So then, verse 33 through 35, Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. See, she's still unloved. Um, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. So Simeon is then given. They have the second son. And then she conceived again and born a son. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So she has four children. The first one, Reuben, was because God sees me and now my husband will love me. The second one is because God hears her, um, but Jacob doesn't love her. She's unloved. And then the third one, uh, I have three sons and the focus is back on Jacob. Now Jacob will love me. And by the fourth son, I think she kind of gets it figured out and says, I'm just going to praise God probably figures out that, okay, if I've, if I've borne three sons to the man and he still doesn't love me, then um, I'm just going to praise God for the four sons. And it kind of marches through there in their names. And again, we have the first four of the 12 tribes listed there now. So moving to chapter 30 then. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? She said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees that through her I too may have children. So she gave him her maid, Billah, in, as, or as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son, and Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she named him Dan. Rachel's name, Billah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have indeed prevailed, and she named him Naphtali. Is anyone here named Rachel? It's a beautiful name. I know some Rachels. I don't know that I could name a daughter Rachel. Rachel here does not show herself to be a very mature person. Um, she certainly shows, I thought I'd clarify, I've made sure nobody here was named Rachel before we go into this, but she shows here a level of immaturity and a lack of understanding of God and of her husband Jacob. Um, and all of this is... All of her actions here are born from jealousy. Back in verse 1, she became jealous of her sister and then and hatches this plan. She's, she is demanding of Jacob what he cannot give, and Jacob knows and understands that. And Jacob has a firm understanding of the fact that the fruit of the womb is from God. 
Rachel also reacts completely out of proportion to the problem. Give me children or else I die. She kind of sounds like a drama queen, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, Jacob falling in love with her was probably not for the character qualities that one should choose a wife. Um, Jacob was not affected by Leah's having four children as far as his affection for, for Leah, excuse me, was not affected by uh, Leah having four children, didn't make her love her, but the four children sure got to Rachel. Rachel, seeing that her sister is able to give Jacob four kids, four boys, has sure set her off. She's, she is far more distressed about this than any sort of positive effect it had on Jacob. And Jacob responds appropriately to her request for children. You know, says it's God that grants or withholds children. So he has a good, he has a good firm understanding of how this works. And his anger seems to be rightly placed in that Rachel is asking something he cannot give and denying God his providence over those things that are only in his purview. Um, at the same time, you have to remember that Jacob is the one who apparently partied on his wedding night and didn't realize who he was marrying. So he kind of got himself into this mess. And again, he selected the woman that's probably not the, the greatest character out of the bunch. So Rachel gives him her maid. Now remember that, that when you study the patriarchs, that the patriarchs all blend together. So Jacob, this has happened in the family before, right? So who got a maid to have kids? Abraham, and who was the son out of that union? Ishmael. Would Jacob have known Ishmael? Absolutely. Jacob, Ishmael would be his, basically his uncle. And when uh, Sarah was buried, Ishmael came back, and he would have certainly known the whole story and would have had a connection with Ishmael. It would not be... Um, completely foreign to him to know that this does not turn out well. And when he looks at what happens between Ishmael and his half-brother Isaac, he has to be thinking, okay, this can end really badly, um, but let's do it anyway. Let's see what happens. Uh, so he, it's amazing how things just continue to repeat themselves. So Billa becomes his wife. Now that is kind of a little different than what we saw in uh, the case of Hagar, where Hagar never became a wife of Abraham. Here we actually have these two maids are going to become his wives. And she has two boys. The first one, um, we have the response of... Let me jump back to it. Um, Rachel's naming of these children, God has vindicated me. And indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. So she understands that they are from God, but her understanding of them being from God is warped in her view of who she is and what her standing with God is at that time. She believes that she is in the right to be jealous and angry and impetuous. That she is in the right to hold a grudge against her sister and God has vindicated that jealousy by giving her a son. 
Now, we know because of the character of God that that's not how he works. He doesn't reward people for being jealous, and yet we see here her feeling that she's been given another son is, in fact, sign that God has vindicated her. And so often we ourselves, when we have positive things happen in our life, we look at that and we say, well, God has blessed me because turns out I was right all along, or turns out I am worthy of being blessed, and I do deserve blessing. And she's, she's absolutely wrong. In fact, this is again a sign of the immaturity of this person. As people mature, they start realizing that things are bigger and more important than themselves. That other people matter too. And right now, the whole world revolves around Rachel. So when God acts, he must be acting around the center of the universe that is herself, that is Rachel. So she believes that she has been vindicated, and then it gets a little bit worse. In verse 8, the next son, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. How did she beat her sister? Can somebody tell me? In what way did she win over her sister? Yeah, but how many? And how many is Leah given? None. Yeah, so none. But if we're going to count the maids, we're going to say two. So she didn't win there. They're not really her children. She didn't win there. So again, her, her understanding and her knowledge of these things is, is warped. Let me open this up. So um, one of the hymns you're going to sing today, uh, Jesus, I, my cross have taken... In uh, the verse three in that is, uh, or the third, um, is uh, one of my favorite. Man may trouble and distress me, twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me, heaven will bring me sweeter rest. So the idea that trials in this life drive us to Christ, drive us to God. O tis not in grief to harm me. While thy love is left to me. So in hardships, as long as you have the love of God, that's okay. And then the next line, O twere not in joy to charm me, were that joy unmixed with thee. The idea that joy itself is not what we need to pursue. If we pursue joy just for the pleasure of it, if it's not mixed with God and his plan and what he's doing in your life, then you're not having the proper perspective of either joy or pain and sorrow. And these people do not have the proper perspective of joy, pain, and sorrow. But specifically here, joy. Rachel is, is believing that, again, she's vindicated and she has prevailed. And God is the one who brought it about because she's in the right and her sister's in the wrong. And it's an easy trap for all of us to fall into, myself included. So then, verse 9 then. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. So Leah's response to being given two children, again, her her desire to have more children was 
uh, in competition with her sister, and her sister gave a maid, so I'll give a maid, and I'll get some more sons too, hopefully, and sure enough, and uh, she believes that she is fortunate, and uh, she's not only happy, but she is so blessed that everyone else is happy with her. Everyone else is affected by this good thing that is taken back. It's kind of like it's the second time we've come across this where someone is not only happy, but everyone around them is happy. I think it was with the birth of Isaac that we saw that take place. And so same thing here. It's like the next level of happiness that comes about. Um, but it all is being born out of the jealousy and and strife between these sisters but understand God sees that and understands it and judges it appropriately but at the same time he uses these actions to actually bring about four more tribes we have Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher four more tribes now exist and have started because of the actions of individuals that are outside what God would desire for them to do. God is ultimately sovereign over these situations as well. It is interesting that Leah's uh, naming of the children isn't directed at her sister the way Rachel's were. I think Leah is a little bit, again, more of a sympathetic character here. She sees that it is, it is good fortune. It is a good thing that God has given, him, given her another son through her maid. And then the happiness that is brought about when now a sixth son is counted towards her because her maids would, kids would have been counted as hers, so to speak. So we're done with maids and the, the score is a 2-2 two, two draw. They each have two. So moving on then, verse 14, now in those days a wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. So we have the oldest bringing, bringing mandrakes, which is a kind of, it's like a plant that's a root that has a little clump on top, and some of them bear berries. We don't really fully understand. Is this some of the root? Is this some of the berries? I have no idea. But that, that part makes more sense than the rest of this. And the breeding of sheep and goats we're going to get to also doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we'll get to it. So we have the mandrakes. He brought mandrakes from the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter for you to take my husband and would you take my son's mandrakes also? In my mind, that's a jump. <laughs> so you brought in some mandrakes. You're, you're asking me for mandrakes, but you took my husband. Clearly, there's still um, some animosity between the two. But Leah is right. It was, he was her husband um, until Jacob demanded from Laban. Rachel as well. Um, so you took, you, you're going to take my son's mandrakes also. So Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. I have the picture of a of a dumb steer, like coming in, it's like, here, you're coming with me. And he's like, okay, 
go, whatever. And it's like he has no control over anything going on here and doesn't want to get in the middle of the fight between the two and is just like, whatever, tell me where to go and I'll go. You're going to give me a maid, okay, whatever. Um, So much of everything that's happened here, and I think that's one of the big things going on here, is from the time his mother uses him, and I think it's, I think a mom going to a son and saying, do this to deceive your father. I blame the mother far more than I do the son. He, he agreed to it. He was an adult and he agreed to it and he bears some of the guilt. But so much of what Jacob lacks is any ability to actually do what he needs to do. Even the driving here to Laban from the promised land and leaving the promised land was outside influences coming against him. And, and we have in the middle of that, that picture of the um, God showing him how he's actually involved in everything going on on the earth by the opening of heaven and seeing Jacob's ladder. And now we have him here still just kind of going along with it. Okay, I'll work seven years for one daughter. Oh, you gave me the wrong one. Well, I'll take the other one and I'll work another seven years. And he's just kind of being led along like a dumb ox this whole time. And you just want him to wake up and actually be involved and lead. And I think we're going to see that today. So, God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God is giving me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Again, Leah here now is attributing a gift from God in another son to the idea that God is rewarding me for giving my maid to Jacob. So these people, if you're thinking, man, they're kind of messed up. They're really messed up. So Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has now endowed me with a good gift. Yes, true. Now my husband will dwell with me. False. (laughs) Because I have borne him six sons. So he named him Zebulun. You just want to tell her, look, honey, he's never going to. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen after your first son. It didn't happen after four sons, and you seem to understand it. And now you've had two more sons, and while you'd think that that should be enough, it's not. That's not how this works. Oh, yeah, and then afterwards she bore him a daughter and named her Dinah. Who's, we'll get to her story later in the, in, not today, but later on. But it is kind of interesting you, would, you have to be very careful here in saying that women are totally kind of put on the side burner and not important in this text because so far we're dealing with Jacob the dumb ox and two women and their interaction and what they're doing. The, the Bible is, is spending a lot of precious time here in Genesis now dealing with women and what their actions and interactions are having on the future of not only the plan of redemption, for we've seen Judah, and the tribe of Judah is where the Messiah is from. So we've seen the importance of these women in this. It's not that they're not important, but um, right now the competition is for boys. And I think that's the reason we don't see a whole lot mentioned here is about Dinah is the competition between these two is for boys. And it maybe even is a condemnation of their view of, uh, of Rachel and Leah's view of, of having a daughter more than it is Scripture's view of women at all. 
So then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Again, a very interesting reaction that we have here. God remembering Rachel, that's a, that's, that's a term that it's like saying God has a strong arm in which to accomplish his will. It's not that God has arms like we have arms, and it's not that God remembers in the way we remember, but we see now in this timing, God acts in regard to Rachel and her situation. And rather than say all that, Scripture gives it almost a, a, a human, God almost a human attribute of remembering. So God acts in the life of Rachel. He remembers Rachel and he gives heed to her and opens her womb. So a good thing is being done for Rachel by God. And she conceives and bears a son and, and says, God has taken away my reproach. Now, it is true. God has allowed her to bear a son to her husband. And she names him Joseph. And then here's the interesting part, saying, may the Lord give me another son. So, he's taken away my reproach. I am no longer barren. Yes, that's a big thing. It's a big thing today. For those who have tried to conceive, we've talked about that before. It's a big deal to be given children and to finally have a child. But he, she's given a son, and her response is, give me another one. Which is pretty, pretty amazing. Because none of us are ever like that, right? Oh, this is great. Awesome. I'm now whole. What I was lacking before, I now have. Now give me more. And again, you could contrast that with like Samuel's mother um, and her praying for children and her barrenness. And God eventually gives her even more children after Samuel. But uh, we see here that, that, again, Rachel's attitude is not necessarily where it needs to be. Do remember um, who Joseph becomes. If you're curious, well, what was the feeling of Jacob about Rachel after he's got 10 children from three other women, six from his first wife, and he gets one from Rachel? What's the relationship between Jacob and Joseph? He's a favorite. He gets the coat of many colors and his father thinks he's awesome. He's a little perturbed when he tells him about a dream where, hey, mom and dad, you bound down to me. But he has, uh, he has a relationship with Rachel such that when she bears him a son, it's a big deal for Jacob as well. Jacob, is, it, it changes everything for him. So now we have 11 children, 12 children. Um, 11 boys, and we see Jacob actually start to act. It's really interesting, I think. I think the whole last two chapters leads to this. Now, it came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. And I think, I don't think it's just the idea that, um, just so you have the timeline right, it was right after Joseph was born that Jacob decided to head back to the promised land. 
I think that this is saying one triggered the other. Jacob now has a son from the wife that he loves. And we've seen the importance of Abraham having Isaac and Isaac having Jacob and Esau. And now Jacob has the next, what he would believe is the next in the line. He has his son through Rachel. I've established myself. I now have a complete family. I'm going to go back. That, that somehow this birth of a son through Rachel is what triggers or what prompts him to say, okay, I need to go back to my own country. He remembers where he was supposed to be. So he tells Laban there in verse 26, Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me depart. For you yourself know my service which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, Name me your wages and I will give it. But he said, You yourself know that I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So if you, if you look back, even 28.15, um, there's the promise, Behold, uh, where God, I think we touched on this at the beginning, Behold, God, God says this, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he's going to bring him back to the land. So this is, this is where that is now working on being fulfilled. Um, it is interesting that both men admit that Jacob is a source of great blessing and a conduit through which God is working. They both recognize that. And I think you see that in other people in your own lives when you're around uh, godly men and women and you see the way God uses them to bless those around them. Um, but do understand that this isn't the story we're about to pass through isn't about Laban or sheep or cows. It's about God returning Jacob to the promised land that he promised back in 2815, that that's what's working on being carried about. And it's also going to be that God does not forget Laban and what Laban's done to, to Jacob. So in verse 31, he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. So he's agreeing to work for him. And what he says is, let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. So the idea here is you have the, the head shepherd Jacob, who's been raising all this livestock for Laban, and they've been prospering. Well, occasionally you'll throw a lamb that's, or a goat that is, or one will be born a, a lamb or a goat that's not pure white and probably a recessive characteristic. So it can have one of those genes and it doesn't show up until it mates with another sheep or goat that has that recessive gene and then you got a one in four chance of it showing up. 
and a one of four chance of the goat being perfectly clean. That's important because we're going to see that Jacob has a knowledge and understanding. He would have actually known a lot about the individual sheep. We were watching, Elise loves sheep, by the way, so I've learned a lot about sheep lately. Um, a shepherd actually does, in fact, know his sheep. It's really neat. In England, this would have been about 20 years ago, they did a video for uh, BBC, and they took a shepherd out, and they said, we're going to take your flock, and it was like 60 ewes, 60 female sheep. And we're going to put three sheep in there, same breed, same size from a neighbor's flock in there, and we want to see if you can find them. Which ones are yours and which ones aren't? And he, this man walks in there with his little crook and, and just walks up to the sheep that's the wrong sheep and pulls them out and then goes and gets the other and gets the third one. And they're like, they all look the same. How did you do that? He goes, well, I'm here with them every day. I know them. Jacob would have not only known his sheep, but he's been there long enough and enough generations. He's also going to know which ewes and which rams actually have those genes that can throw the speckled sheep. So he's made this, this and, and so, so the temptation here is to think, okay, he's going to trick Laban now. But we haven't gotten to the end of the story. But so, so that certainly was the first thing in my mind when I read through this. I was like, okay, so he knows that which ones are recessive and which ones are a carrier for this gene. And he's going to make sure they're the ones that breed and they're going to do great. So they separate out. He takes all the, all the, the ones that both mom and dad gave him a recessive gene and he, they're speckled and spotted and he moves them three days journey away, and someone else is taking care of them. That's, those are Jacob's flock. So he's removed a lot of the unclean, the unclean genes from the gene pool. So now Laban's flock is even more pure than it was before. And that's important here because that's, I think, why Laban thinks this is a great deal because not only do you get the, the not really nice-looking lambs, and who doesn't want all their lambs to look the same, right? Isn't that a huge thing? You want all of your livestock to look alike. So they take, that's a thing, honest. So they take the, the speckled and spotted and black away. He now has more pure lambs. So the likelihood of Jacob getting any more was just hugely reduced. He, far less likelihood to actually get more of the speckled and spotted because those genetics have just been removed. So he does understand that, sure enough, Jacob's going to get more sheep because they'll still occasionally throw one of these. But the fact is, it won't be nearly as likely and his wages will actually go down. So Laban says, good, let it be according to your word. So they removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, everyone with white in it. And all the black ones among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So not only did Laban get the genetics removed, but the guy who seems to be the master shepherd who's actually producing great animals is not taking care of his own flock. He's taking care of Laban's flock. 
So Laban really got the, the better end of this deal in his mind. But again, I don't think Jacob is tricking him. I think God is. Verse 37, Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white strips in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban, and he put his own herds apart and did not put them in Laban's flock. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods inside of the flock in the gutter so that they might mate by the rods. When the flock was feeble, he did not put them, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So he... So we're going to have to kind of deal with the poplar almond and plane trees. Um, the nearest that I could find on this is that there is some benefits to extracts from these plants to make the lambs more or make the ewes more productive. So the, the ewe will give you usually, what is it, about one point? 1.8 lambs per gestation, per pregnancy. It's not that you get one lamb and 0.8 lambs. It's that, it's that, yeah, it's that if you bred 10 of them, eight of them would have twins. Is that a good way? Okay. So lambs will twin and triplet. And I think what we're seeing here is that Jacob is making sure that, the, that when the flock is really healthy and when the strongest in the flock are receptive, when the ewes are receptive and can be bred, he's making sure that they are in their greatest health so they are more likely to have twins and triplets, which is a thing. We do know that and carry to term, and actually produce multiples. And we do know that's true. That is how that works, that if you improve the nutrition of lambs during breeding season, they'll, they'll give you more lambs at the end, and they'll be healthier lambs, and they'll do better. And so that's basically what's going on here. Um, he's not instituting this practice when the flock is feeble, and But when they're strong, when it's the, the stronger of the flock that are in season, he's making sure that they are bred with this technique. Jacob does not have, and the supplements he's giving do not have the power to produce striped, black, and speckled lambs and goats. It's not what this is saying, and I don't think it's implying, well, it sounds almost like it is, but I don't think that's what's being said. I think from a scientific, agricultural view of this text, I think what I first explained is what's going on, um, because only, only, there's only one way to actually control genetics um, that we know of, and again, having just covered that God is the one who gifts people, he certainly gifts animals as well. So, Jacob, now, whenever one of these is born, 
that's his wages. He takes it and it goes off to his own flock. And Laban has, isn't getting as many lambs as he should. So this is the story of how this all happened then in chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. So Laban's not an idiot and he notices that, boy, we're having, whenever, whenever we have a lot of lambs, it seems like they are Jacob's and whenever we're not having as good a lambs or it isn't as good a season, then they tend to be more white. And I, and I don't understand what's going on, but it certainly would have bred a lot of animosity if Laban is at all the source of his own children's attitudes of jealousy and anger are involved. So then in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So that's a repeat of back in chapter 28. Um, God repeats this to Jacob. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. So he calls them out. Come talk to me out here because there's a lot of eyes and ears that I don't need to be hearing this. And he says to them, I see your father's attitude, that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped flock will be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about when the t- at the time when the flock was mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. So Jacob explains, this is why the breeding program worked. All I did is implement the things I knew that would cause the sheep to be more productive. And when they're more productive, I really put pressure on them. And because God told me, in this dream that basically, no, it's not that there are speckled, striped, and mottled sheep and goats breeding because they're Laban's rams that are being used and billies that are being used. It's actually that God was showing me that the genetics were going to be such that the offspring were going to be colored, black and speckled and, and mottled, striped. So we have the the... Multicolor sheep and goats being produced because God is the one who said, this is what's going to happen. Breed the sheep and I'm going to take care of the rest. And that's exactly what happens. Um, so again, I don't believe Jacob is, is uh, cheating Laban. There is kind of a mention there that, that Laban changed the rules a little bit at one point and changed, from, changed it to, well, you just get the speckled and then changed it to, you just get the stripes. But still, God doesn't allow that to hurt Jacob and he makes sure that that's what are born. 
And Laban would have known full well Jacob doesn't have control over such things. Um, so verse 14, Rachel and Leah, and this is interesting. They say to him, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then do whatever God has said to you. So it could just be that the price of Rachel and Leah was the seven years for each of them of work. None of that ended up in their hands. Instead, what happened was, was Jacob was required to not only care for Rachel and Leah, but he never received anything for them. He actually paid for them. And then the father turned around and took advantage of even that situation to the point where Jacob did work hard for many years for Laban. And now any way that God has removed wealth from Laban and given it to this family um, is certainly fair and just. And that's the way the children see it. They don't have a very close, fond view of their father. That is for sure. Um, So the wives all agree to leave. So we'll, we'll save the leaving for next time. But just understand here that, uh, one, God uses idiots, thankfully. Um, two, that very often people think when good happens, it's because uh, they're in the right. And that is not necessarily the case. Sometimes it is. When bad happens, it's because... They're the ones who are being oppressed and, and have hardship. And, and sometimes you deserve the bad that happens to you. Um, and then also, I think we're finally seeing Jacob now taking control of his life and doing what God intends him to do in returning to the land. And he's, he's set about a plan to get that done. And God is working with him actively, actually speaking with him and uh, speaking with him in dreams as well of, okay, this is where we're going and this is what we're going to do. So, so far of the characters that we've seen from the arrival of Abraham, um, Jacob is one that I'm liking more and more um, is it, is it because I'm seeing him develop and, and I need that patience as well. I need God to give me patience and allow me to develop and, and learn to trust him and act as I should for him. Um, and I think a lot of us would fit in that as well. So it's, it's very encouraging to see this going on with Jacob. I'll go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these stories that uh, you have had recorded, not only for the people who it was a direct application for them, Lord, but also for us that we learn things about your character and the way you work with humans and the way you plan things and the way you carry out your plan and your purposes, Lord, um, the way you forgive, the way you, you are willing to let us develop and all these things, Lord, we see uh, because you have written them in your eternal word so we can trust on them and, and know that they're true. Thank you for allowing us to spend time in your word. Pray, Lord, that you would allow us now to worship you uh, with gladness and sincerity and enjoy this uh, morning. In your presence, in your son's name, amen.